Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our and from from our our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. This may feel a little bit different. We haven't done prayer and preaching the service of prayer and preaching for I think it was like back in 2021 we did this. So it's a little takes a little time getting into it again, but it's a it's a good service. And one that we're focusing on for this Lenten season is the Old Testament text. You might have heard it on Sunday, if you were here Sunday, right? You heard it on Sunday. I did not expound upon it on Sunday, so for these Wednesday nights, I'll be expounding on the Old Testament texts uh, to kind of flesh things out for you a little bit more. Uh, These were chosen specifically for this season, and it helps to go through them, especially such a foundational text as Genesis 3. I love this text. I, I think it's a fantastic, fantastic passage. And I say that, I mean, maybe with a little bit of irony, maybe not, a, maybe, not, maybe not so much. I love it because, well, on one hand, I don't like it <laughs> because it talks about sinful man, how we fell into sin how it was that our first parents disobeyed God and how they ruined everything for us, pretty much, or at least almost, right? Because I hate that part of it, because I hate the sin that now dwells dwells within me and within all of us. We are sinners because of what Adam and Eve did or didn't do depending on the way that you see it. They did not obey the Lord their God. Some of us like to say, you had one job to do, right? You had one job. Don't eat the fruit. That's all you got to do. It's so simple. And preparing for this text, I, I, I already have, I preached on this several times already, or at least talked about it, taught about it. And there's so much here. I'll, I'll try and maybe condense things a little bit or just kind of go. Because there's so much here about how the devil works to tempt us, to entice us to sin, the craftiness that he employs to get us to second guess what God says, to doubt God's goodness. What he does is he has a primary tactic of, did God really say, insert here, whatever lie he wants to peddle, right? Did God really say that you shouldn't eat of any of the trees? Did God really say that you shouldn't steal? Did God really say that you shouldn't, you know, look at someone lustfully or anything like that? Yeah, he did. He did say those things, yes. He does say explicitly those things. And I've talked before about, or I've preached before about also, how um, Eve gets a bad rap because she was tempted and she was deceived. And in fact, even Paul says as much, right? She was deceived first, not the man. And I've tried, and maybe I've fallen a little bit too much into the temptation of listening to more I guess contemporary pastors who aren't wrong when they say in that part right there that says that she gave to her husband who was with her the fruit, right? He, he was there. 
We have to imply a lot, though, to read that he was there the whole time. He might have been, and he should have spoken up. Who knows what was in his mind while she was talking to the serpent, right? He should have barged in and said, that's not how this works. Or maybe he was just out of, maybe he was was just right out of range to hear what was going on. I don't know. Scripture doesn't say. So I'm not going to go too far down that road. What we do have is exactly the discourse between Eve and, and, and the, the serpent. And it is textbook example of what not to do. Satan comes in and he says, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? See how he switches one little word. One little word. Any tree? Not any one of them? When he knows plain as day what God said. And so Eve responds as faithfully as she can with how well she was catechized by her husband. She says, no, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. I made a lot of hay at one point in time about the neither shall you touch it, right? That that was where Adam went wrong if he taught her that. I don't know. Did she discern that for herself? I don't know. But she says, neither shall you touch it lest you die. And it's very interesting because I was reading um, what, what, I was reading what, what Luther had to say on this, and he focuses on the lest you die part, that there was some kind of doubt as to whether or not they would die in her, in in what she says. That you shall not even touch it just in case you might maybe die, is basically what she's saying. As if to say, I don't quite know if that's right. I don't quite know if God meant that, is what she really means to say. It's as if she says these things. So then that gives enough of a hole for the serpent to just get his head in. And then once the head is in, the body's not far behind and coming all the way in. And he says, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. God doesn't want you to know everything and shame on him because he doesn't trust you. That's what Satan is trying to do here. God is holding back from you. God doesn't want all good things for you, because if he did, he would just let you have it all. Now, if that's not diabolical, I don't know what is. That is truly satanic. And how often do we hear that today? God wants you to be happy, right? How many people have said that in at least the last year or so? The year's still still early on in the year. I wouldn't be surprised if a whole heap of people say, God wants me to be happy, so I'm going to go do X, Y, and Z because God is holding out on me. They won't say that part, 
but that's where their heart is. God is holding out on me because obviously he would want only good things for me, therefore I'm going to go get what I think is good. And it's just amazing how the slippery slope, which we are told is a logical fallacy, is very real in this instance, where once Eve is set on the path, she's hard-pressed to turn around. And so Satan destroys faith with a word in the same way that God creates faith with a word. Satan lures away with words so that when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was, who was, was, who was with her and he ate. Isn't it amazing, though, that their eyes were not opened until both of them had a bite? That when Adam and Eve were first brought together, when God created man, and then from man he created his wife, and the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. That it wasn't until the man ate that both of their eyes were opened. I don't know what this means as far as what would have happened if only she ate and he didn't. I have no idea. That's speculation beyond what we're supposed to know. But that is something to say about the one flesh union between husband and wife. That what, both, what, what one does affects, 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 affects the other for good or ill. That the, that the eyes of both were opened and that they knew that they, that they, that they were naked. And then shame came into their hearts. And it's interesting to see just how far we have fallen when we look at how great we once were, at least how great they once were that they were not ashamed. They lived in pure bliss and joy in God's presence, not knowing sin, not knowing death, not even thinking twice about a serpent that would talk to you. If that happened today, I would imagine, I mean, unless, unless you just expect that sort of thing, most of us would think that would just be crazy. But we are jaded. We are fallen. But Adam and Eve, they were not at this time. That they trusted that God wouldn't, well, that God would watch out for them, that God would take care of them, that whatever he made was good. They did not expect what Satan brought. But in the end, they're the ones to blame. And so they foolishly tried to cover themselves with leaves. And then they heard God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid. How foolish is that? But isn't that what sin does? Sin causes us to do foolish things. Really stupid things. The all-knowing, all-seeing God 
They think they can just hide from him when not even walls of concrete and stone and iron can keep you from his presence and his sight. They think that they can just cower behind a tree or something and not be seen. And and so for the rest of man's life, he will be running scared. It's like the proverb says that that the, the, the wicked flee when no one pursues, right? But in this case, God was pursuing them. He wanted to know where they were because he had created them to be good. To, to, to grant them joys and love perf- perfectly. And so he sought them out, and he calls out this most devastating question. Where are you? Where are you? My creation that I had called good. Where are you now? And so... The man said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid. How far they had fallen from just the bite of one piece of fruit. I was afraid because I was, because I was, because I was, was, was naked and I hid myself. And God said, who told you that you were naked? And then he knows, have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, well, the, the woman, the woman that you gave to me, God, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. It's your fault, God. Why would you give me such an imperfect mate that would lead me astray? Shame on you, God, shame on you. That's what Adam is saying. So the Lord God says to his wife, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, well, the serpent, he deceived me and I ate. Sin is always begging us to pass blame onto someone else. But in this case, they're right. They were deceived. The serpent deceived them, and so the Lord God says to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you, right? And in this way, we see this beautiful, beautiful promise. And this is why I love this text. It's what we theologians call the Proto-Evangelion, the first gospel spoken that God says, I will put enmity between you, that is, that is um, the, the serpent, that is the devil, I will put enmity between you and, the, and the, the woman, and between your seed and her seed, and he shall bruise your head and he shall bruise, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Otherwise said, He shall crush your head, and you will crush his heel. In this text, you have such a wonderful promise that a man would be born of of the, the, the woman, and he would suffer greatly, but he would not be, he would not be, he would not be destroyed. That he 
in crushing the serpent's head would suffer, but he would prevail. And in this, we see a beautiful promise that in spite of the curses to both the man and his wife, that with her, not only shall there, shall there be pain in childbearing, but her desire shall be contrary to her husband. <laughs> I, sorry, I have to kind of chuckle. As a married man, that's kind of funny. Um, whenever, whenever you have problems in the home, of course, men are sinful, but that goes back to this curse. In our text that we have in in the handouts here, it's not quite as, I would say it's, 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 it's rendered better that her desire should be contrary and he shall rule over her. That there will be strife, there will be pain, there will be suffering, even though you love one another. Because that is what sin does. It causes a wedge, it divides, it seeks to do that. And Satan has a way of really playing on that. So in spite of this curse, that there would be, there would be problems, that there would be conflict. And in spite of the curse that Adam was given because he listened to the voice of his wife when he should have taken charge and protected her, and stopped her and said, no, this is what God says. And he should have taken the serpent and thrown him on the ground and crushed him himself. But since he failed, because he paid attention to his wife's voice and not God's voice, he is cursed. By the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread till you go to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. And we see that in all of this, in the fall of our first parents, we have entered a state of humiliation. Whether we realize it or not, we are humiliated because of sin. We ought to be. And yet, in this state of humiliation, God gives us a promise that one day he would send his son. It's not expressly said here, but through God giving us more of his will through his word throughout the years, we see, and thankfully we can see in hindsight, which is 2020, that he made a promise that he would send his son to be humiliated, to live as a man, to take on flesh, to be spat upon, to be shamed, to be humiliated, to be mocked, to be scourged, to be whipped, to be crucified, and to die. That in Christ, we see this great promise that we shall be saved. That God did not want us to stay damned for all eternity. And he even kind of shows this at the very end of our text for tonight. The Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. That in this way, God showed them what the price of their sin was. It was blood. Blood must, must, must be shed for sin. That 
is how it works. God made the first, made the first, the first sacrifice for sin. And in the same way, he made the last sacrifice for sin in shedding Christ's blood for you so that that blood would cover you and your shame and your sin so that you would live righteous and pure forever because of what God has done. That in his humiliation, you are exalted. In his cross, in his death, you now have life. That in him, he grants you the fullness of his love, his grace, his mercy, when you don't deserve it. That in this, even though in this life we know we are dust, and to dust we shall, we shall return, that in the last day, that dust will be gathered together and will be given flesh and bones, and will be raised as Christ was raised on his third day, so that we would live forever with him in righteousness and purity forever, in body and soul unto life everlasting. So as we go forward in this great season of Lent, when you are tempted, when you are taunted by Satan, did God actually say, Know that the blood of Christ covers you. It covers your shame. It even covers the shame of even the thought of enticing, of even the thought of playing out what Satan is trying to tempt you to do. That in and of itself is sin. He covers that too. He covers your thoughts, your words, your deeds with his blood so that you would live forever as a new creation in Christ, shouting at the devil and saying, Be gone. For it is surely written that Christ has died for me. Um, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus our Lord.